Wine you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's been a long time, but here we are with Wine You Wish Upon a Star, your favorite Disney fan cast. I'm your host, Brenna Payo. And I'm your other host, Joe Payo. And I'm your other host, Joe Payo. There we go. You didn't mess up your name that time. Oh, good thing, good, good thing you stepped on my introduction. And I'm your other host, Joe Payo. No, you, you should use the one where you messed up your own name. Oh, gosh. Really? Okay. You can cut all this out in post. Well, we have a confession to make. Yeah. So, in the last episode, we promised that the next movie that we would watch would be The Three Caballeros. We did watch it, and we did record an episode, but in editing the episode, which editing is, it's a loose term. I don't really edit and say, like, oh, I'm going to cut everything out. But I, like, you know, I, I cut out, like, the, the awkward pauses or the moments where... We say like, oh, I need to take a break. I need to get a refill or use the bathroom. Or all my racial slurs. Or there's that too. In going back and listening to the episode that we had recorded for Three Caballeros, I realized it's not really a movie that fits this format because it's very abstract and bizarre and non sequitur, where most of the podcast that we had recorded was really just kind of us trying to figure out what was going on, why it was going on, and what kind of drugs they were on. Well, and it was also difficult because a lot of it was just dance numbers. So we found ourselves just describing dance numbers. Yeah. And it doesn't like, you know, there's not a lot of story. There's not a lot of things that you can kind of like unfold and say like, oh, as a kid, I thought this. As an adult, I think this. Instead, it's just like, and then they're dancing again. And then they're hitting on women. Honestly, like... If you want to watch the movie, watch the movie. But listening to a podcast about a movie is like listening to a podcast about a painting. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to hear people talk about it. And, we, you know, it was it was kind of difficult for us to, like, really kind of verbalize a lot of what happened because it is so insane. So we decided that we would just kind of give it a little pass and move along to the next one. So instead <laughs> of the three caballeros, we have for you today Mr. Toad. And the Adventures of Ichabod Crane. This was a movie that was released theatrically. We had said we're going to try to go for the ones that are like a, a single cohesive story. But this is one of those where we just, we, we love it so much. It actually was released in theaters, but it is two short films that are put together. One of them is The Adventures of Mr. Toad, which most people know as being the basis of Mr. Toad's wild ride at Disneyland. And then The, and then the Adventures of Ichabod, which is Sleepy Hollow. We had an old DVD from my parents' house, and so we got some prime previews before the movie even started. This is one of our favorite things about going back and finding these old DVDs is when they say, like, what is coming soon to DVD or coming soon to theaters? And the DVD is from, like, 1999, and they're like, aren't you excited about the millennium? (laughs) So it was a lot of Toy Story stuff. And my favorite one was that there was a small Buzz Lightyear movie. It was like the beginnings of Buzz Lightyear, like of Star Command. But apparently Tom Hanks couldn't be bothered to voice. Yeah, they're Woody. saying that they're saying that like Tim Allen is 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 rejoining as as Buzz Lightyear, but they never say anything about Tom Hanks. Here's a fact. Ooh, I can fit a fact in here. Ooh. And this is from my brain. I didn't even read this. Ooh, facts from your brain. Brain facts. Brain facts. So Tom Hanks has a brother, and Tom Hanks's brother has actually been hired to do the voices that Tom Hanks does in lesser-known sort of projects. So in, like, Toy Story video games, when it would take a lot of time and money to have Tom Hanks there, 
his brother comes in and just does the Woody voice. And we're pretty sure that he did this for the uh, Star Command thing. It sounded just enough off. Plus, it said, introducing Tom Hanks's brother. It did not say that. Blom Blanks. Blom Blanks. It did not say that, but we'd like to think that it did. I'd like to think his name was Blom Blanks. Blom Blanks. Why does... Knock does he off have Tom sa- Hanks. What is it? Why does he have a different last name? Um, his mother was confused about how naming worked. I, I shall call him Blom Blanks. Blom Blanks. Because it's like the B version of Tom Hanks. Sure. <laughs> The movie starts with the wonderful song about Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Yeah, there is an actual song. I didn't realize there is a song about Ichabod and Mr. Toad. By the way, these two do not have a lot in common, these two stories. Well, they're both cautionary tales. In a way. I mean, I guess they're both about like protagonists that you're kind of asking them, like, why are you doing the things you're doing? Like, don't be too greedy in life. Yeah, don't be too greedy. Don't, don't, be, don't lust after things that are out of your control. We'll get there, though. We'll get there. So there's a song, but this song, by the way, isn't just like a lovely Disney, like, and this is the beginning of the story. It's like this 1950s swing song. Like, you can dance to it. And it's just like, ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-
My favorite thing about this is that you see the characters talking, but you don't hear their voices. It's just the narrator kind of just like rushing you through like, and boring, boring, boring. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And then he said this, and then he said this, and then he said that, and then they move along. Yeah. He's like, and then we get to the story. It starts now. (laughs) And there's a knock on the door. Mr. Rat opens the door and it's a full-sized human. Oh, it's standing. a human mailman. It's so, a human mailman. So the the thing is, I've, I've probably railed about this before sometimes with, with the movies where they set up like, do animals talk? Do animals talk to people? Do people understand what they're saying? This is one where they're like, the humans are involved in the story and think, it, no big deal. We actually have animals that dress in suits and talk and we, and I guess get mail and deal in legal procedures. Yeah, so they get a knock on the door, and it's not just, like, a man the size of, like, the same size as the rat and the mole. He's, like, leaning down and handing the mail, being like, here you go. And it was, uh, it was a little jarring. Um, it's a letter, and Mr. Rat opens it, and it's a letter from Mac Beaver. No, Mac Badger. I like Mac Beaver. <laughs> no, Mac Badger. <laughs> <laughs> inviting him. All hail King Mac Badger. Okay, inviting Mr. Rat to come immediately to Toad Hollow because there is something wrong. Toad Hall, yes. Toad, Toad, Toad Hollow. Toad Hall. Toad, Toad Hall. Hall. Toad Hall. <laughs> it's the estate. Normally I'd let that slide, but this is very important to the story, apparently. Toad Hall. Toad Hall. Yes. Toad Hall. Then we see Mr. Mac Badger, and he's at Toad Hall doing the books, and th- he's getting all these like little bill notices from people. So flustered for a destroyed lamp post or a wall that was run over or just all this damage, and he's just like, "Ugh, oh, Toad Hall's not gonna last if we just keep paying all this money." And he gets he gets a knock on the door, and he answers the door, and it's like five more human people banging on the door handing him these, like, bills of just, like, you owe me this money! You owe me money! He's like, you'll get your money! That was good. That was a good accent. Speaking of which, Mac Badger has the most horrendous Scottish accent that I'd ever heard. At first, I thought he was Middle Eastern because (gasps) he he just has a weird way of pronouncing things. And it's like, there was no shortage of Scottish actors, but for some reason, they got somebody who maybe met somebody who was good at impersonating a Scottish accent once because his accent is so strange and like, I have to cook the books. I have to make sure that we don't lose the, the, the toad hall. Like it's, it's so bizarre. <laughs> so Mr. McBadger kicks all the humans out saying, you'll be paid, but not today. And slams the door. There's another knock. He opens it. He's screaming. And it's Mr. Rat and Mr. Mole. And Mr. McBadger brings them in and is like, oh my gosh, Mr. Toad is ruining this place. It's going to go under. He doesn't manage his money. And he's like throwing receipts at them. And he's like, you're his best friends. You need to figure out what's up with him. He's got a new uh, obsession right now, and it's a... Well, he said it so fast, we actually had to pause and go back. Because we, we were like, what did he say? Because he says it... He's running through the countryside with a canary yellow horse-drawn gypsy cart driven by a horse named Cyril. Cut to the cut to the horse-drawn canary yellow gypsy <laughs> cart with a horse named Cyril. At this cut, we are finally introduced to our title character, Mr. Toad. And he's just gallivanting on these, like, hilly roads in this cart. And he's singing this song, this, like, merrily, 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 heading nowhere in particular. It's a really cute song. It's really fun. It is. And And he duets with the horse. 
they're like best buddies and they're both like like kind of just shouting in cockney accents and they're running through fences and plants and water and geese and finally right into his friends mr mole and mr rat and so toad is just like oh my friends okay so uh, in a lot of these, I've been kind of noticing, like, oh, the evolution of the animation techniques and everything like that. I think they did not, they could not figure out what Mr. Toad was going to say at this point because his mouth is just perpetually open while his dialogue is happening. This is probably the worst animation I've ever seen from a Disney <laughs> film. Maybe it's just that they didn't want to animate his teeth because a frog with teeth would have been frightening yeah that's terrifying but he just kind of has his mouth generally like generically open as he's like oh my dearest friends it's good to see you and he but the animation looks like he's going oh, oh, oh. oh i wish this microphone was a video camera <laughs> to watch your face do that meanwhile as toad is talking he starts getting this lecture from mr water rat about how he's irresponsible and he just like instead of just like countering or saying like uh-huh i understand you he just starts covering his ears. Like, you don't see his ears, but he just puts his hands where his ears would be. And you, as the audience, hear the dialogue just go from, like, I told you that... And so... It becomes and muffled. He, and then he, like, opens his ears again, and it's like, and finally, I have to say... And then he covers his ears again. It's like, and it's just, like, it's a funny thing. And then he starts, like, opening and closing his ears, like, really fast, where it's like, everything, you're responsible. I thought that was a really adorable use of sound design. And then you see Cyril the horse, and he just, like, hit the tips of his ears, curl down, and start plugging the insides of his ears, and you get the same exact effect. Mr. Rat and Mr. Mole try to grab Mr. Toad and pull him off the gypsy cart, and all they succeed in doing is pulling his pants off, which reveal pink long underwear, and he runs off again with Cyril. Of course. At this point, they, they hear a sound, this, like, puttering, and you see these twin men in a yellow car coming over the hill. And they kind of look like, you know, I guess they kind of look like the Wright brothers with, like, goggles and headgear. And they're just like, and it's just like, it speeds past them. It knocks them over. Like, the whole cart basically explodes, and they're just on the roadside. So they see this, this motor car go by. And Mr. Toad gets this, like, look in his eyes. And it's this moment where, like, his head is kind of sunken into his collar. Like, his neck has disappeared. And you just see his eyes just get bigger and bigger. And then you see, like, his eyes start swirling. Kind of like in Jungle Book when Ka starts uh, hypnotizing people. But before Jungle Book. Spoiler alert. Oh, my gosh. He starts getting this, like, crazy, like, look in his eyes. And then after the car goes by, he starts starts beatboxing. He's just like... "Mm." He's impersonating a car. And it's just like, it starts like escalating. But yeah, and they're like, oh, he's got motor sickness. He's got, he's got the mania. Once Mr. Toad gets this motor mania where he's beatboxing like the end of the song Pop by NSYNC, he is discovered by his friends and they're like, we're going to get you home. And they like take him beatboxing all the way home. They dress him in pajamas and put him in bed and he's all like... And they throw water on him. They put water on him, and he goes... And they lock the door. And he's just like, one way or another, I'm going to get a motor car. And then he sneaks out of the house, smash cut to newspapers, where he has stolen a car. (laughs) So we, as the audience, don't know what happened. We don't know for sure what happened, because it goes immediately to a trial where people are testifying about what had happened 
that evening when he was gone. It's like this law and order of the willows. Boom, boom. Yeah, we're going to have to cut that out. Now we're owned by law and order. I'm not cutting anything. Dick Wolf, thank you for being a patron of our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) At this time that we see the trial, I was like looking at the judge and I was like, what? That's not the judge from the ride. And that's when I realized I was putting everything in the context of the fantasy land ride at Disneyland, (laughs) especially when they're going through Toad Hall. I was just like, I recognize that because the camera work actually makes it look like you're going through the halls sometimes. It gets this like 3D thing, which is uh, perfect for designing a, a ride. Anyway, we're in the courthouse and I'm just like, oh, where's the judge? He's like, guilty this way. But that judge isn't there. And then he shows up. He's not an actual judge. That judge who's in the ride is just the prosecuting attorney. So he's asking all the questions of, where were you this night and where were you this? I don't know how the the courts in England in the days of old work, but Toad decides he's going to represent himself, which is a very American thing, I think. And Toad brings up his first and only witness, and it's his buddy Cyril. We had no idea that Cyril was actually involved in this thing, but he shows up just like, oh, yeah, I was with Toad all night. Let me vouch. This is what happened. So... We followed this car. We saw a red car, and we followed it. And we went to this bar, and a bunch of weasels jumped out of the car. Literal weasels. Literal weasels. Which, by the way, these weasels look exactly the same as the weasels from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's right. I was trying to place them the whole time. I was like, I know these weasels. Yeah, they've got, like, the pointy snouts, and they've got that, like, hunched-over posture where they're like, You don't really hear them say anything. It's not like they're, you know, they're like, Like, they're just kind of just weasels. Like, they're just... Shady figures. Yeah, they're exactly those. Exactly the same as the weasels from Roger Rabbit. But there's a ton of them. So according to Cyril, they went into the bar. They said, who owns that car outside? One of the weasels was like, I do. And so he said, I will buy the car from you by trade, and I will trade you the deed to Toad Hall. Because he crawled out of the window, so he's only in his pajamas. So he doesn't have a wallet. Yeah, exactly. He didn't have any of his money with him. He said, let's get Winky the bartender to witness this so that, you know, it's a it's an actual valid transaction. Winky, by the way, he's also in the ride. He shows up and he's like twirling mugs of beer. He's got this like little mustache. He's got a bald head. And on top of his head, he has an even smaller mustache. And what I like is when he reveals that he traded Toad Hall for the car, we cut back to the courtroom and the lawyer's laughing and he's like, no, this is fake. No one would be that stupid. And Cyril's like, no, he is that stupid. Yeah, he is that stupid. After that, they call in Winky as the next witness to kind of uh, corroborate the story and say, yes, this happened. Winky walks up and they're like, what happened? And he's like, Oh, he rolled up to the bar and tried to sell me a stolen car. That's what it was. And yes. it's like, what? And the whole bar, or the whole courtroom erupts, mm-hmm. and you just see like newspaper after newspaper: guilty, sentenced to prison, no retrials, can't even get the lowest court to retry him. Mister Toad gets sent to London Tower of all places. They're like, he's sent to the tower. Well, they said the judge was trying to make an example of him for anybody following. And he's sitting there all lonely, and it's like Christmas Eve, and he's got like the classic ball and chain. He's sitting in his cell all alone. There's a puddle on the ground, and he's crying into it. It's a puddle of tears. And every single tear ripples, and it becomes like, these are the faces of the people he was thinking of. Drip, blink. He was thinking of Mr. McBadger, who looked after him. Bloop. 
He was thinking of Mr. Mole, who was always by his side. Bloop. He was thinking of Mr. Rat, who gave so many lectures that he'd never listened to. <laughs> Bloop. And he's like, I'm going to be reformed. I'm not going to have this mania anymore. I'm going to be a smart person. He gets a knock on his cell, and it's a guard, and he's saying, like, Saying as it's Christmas Eve, you've got a visitor, and we'll give it, we'll grant you a visitor. It's your grandma. And so this, like, ghost of a woman kind of, like, floats inside, and he's just like, my grandma? And this woman figure pulls back the veil, and it's Cyril. And he's just like, I'm getting you out of here. And he tosses him, like, a little tiny, like, doll-sized dress. And he's just like, what? So you got me a dress for Christmas? What's going on? He's like, no, it's a disguise. We're getting out of here. At that point, his mania about escaping then sets in. And he's like, well, I'll give in to my mania this one more time. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you see like all the alarms going off, all the guards blowing whistles being like, somebody's escaped. And there's like the searchlights going. Toad is like running through the streets of England, just like in a dress, in a dress, a trying dress to as hide. an old woman. Again, with the old women costumes while running. You see all these cops on bikes riding around the street, like, trying to find him. The police even catch him at one point, but his disguise is so good, they let him go until the ball and chain fall out from under the dress. Yeah, the ball and chain. He was using it because he has his dress. He was using it as, like, a butt bump. So he's just, like, kind of flirting with the cop and, like, kind of sauntering away as, like, the ball on his, like, butt is just kind of, like, swinging back and forth. And the cop's like, mm. And then it drops out of his dress and he's, like, starts blowing a whistle. So he ends up running and he finds a train that's just sitting there. And he jumps in and steals the train. Oh, oh, this is the point that I realized. Anytime that he ever, like, that you see him steal a vehicle, he starts, like, inhaling the exhaust. Like, when he steals a car, he's, like, standing by the tailpipe just going, (sighs) yeah. And then when he, like, steals the train, he's, like, at the stovepipe of it, just like, oh, yeah. He's like Vin Diesel. (laughs) The police grab the train behind his train and start chasing his train. So we've got a train chase. And meanwhile, there's like 18 cops on this like engine, all of them with their guns drawn, firing madly and just like shooting straight at him. Like there's just this barrage of gunfire. And he's just like, you can't hit me. And he's dancing around the train. He's like, yeah, you can't hit me. And he puts his hands like finger guns and he's like, you'll never take me alive. And he gets over a bridge and throws his ball and chain over the side of the bridge, which takes him with it. And he's like, I'm so clever. They're chasing after this train. And now I'm at the bottom of this river. And he's laughing. He's like, her, 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 her. And he looks over and sees a fish. And There's a goes, fish that's Ugh. laughing, too. And he goes, oh, because he can't breathe. Yeah. And you start to see him, like, tugging at his chain. Obviously, like, the ball is, like, sunken into the mud. And it sinks and, deeper and deeper. And deeper and deeper. As he's struggle. pulling, you see, like, at the top of, like, the surface of it, he's, like, reaching for a low-hanging tree branch. He can only hit, like, grab a tiny twig off of it, and it snaps off. And then the camera just, like, nonchalantly just pans away and says, like, let's very, go somewhere else. Very slowly. Let's go look at something else. And Brenda and I looked at each other thinking, like, that's it? He just died like that? I put that in my notes. I put he dies at this point because we get a slow pan over to Rat's house and you close in and Rat and Mole are starting their dinner. Christmas Eve dinner and they're praying for Mr. Toad and they're like, I hope that he's being good in prison. I hope that he gets out early for good behavior. And then all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. Bang on their door. 
They open the door and it's Mr. Toad. But he's like framed like a silhouette, like he's a zombie. And he falls, and he falls forward. straight forward, just like passed out. And they're like, what? So they bring, they drag him inside, they close the door, and immediately there's more knocking. And Mr. Toad kind of wakes up and he's like, it's the police. They found me. Hide me. To which Mr. Rat goes, no. He's like, we're going to report this to the police, which is when I thought like, oh, Mr. Water Rat is a rat. He's he doesn't care. Rat. He's going to rat out anybody. He's but he, but the way he says it, he's just like, no, it's our duty as citizens of this count of this country to make sure that like the law is set right. You escape from jail, you need to serve punishment for that. And you so they start getting this knock on the door. And well, first Toad is just like, oh, I'm scared of the police. And then there's like a knock on the door, and he's like, hide me from the police. <laughs> and they finally open the door, and the rat's just like, nope, it's time for you to absolve yourself. He opens it. It's not police. It's Mr. McBadger. Who tells us that he just got there from Toad Hall. And it turns out Mr. Winky is sitting in Toad Hall with a whole mess of weasels holding the deed. What? To Toad Hall. Oh my gosh. He lied. That's the reason why he gave false testimony and framed him is because he was the secret owner of Toad Hall. So then Mr. Rat and Mr. Mole are like, oh, we're sorry we didn't believe you. And Mr. McBadger is like, um, don't be sorry. He still escaped from prison and he's still <laughs> technically guilty. So, But still, they're going to go over to Toad Hall and get the deed from him. So they can show the judge. So they can show the judge that, like, you see, this is the reason why all the evidence needs to be thrown out. So they go over to Toad Hall by boat. And there's, like, weasels walking around, like, as, guard- as sentry guards. One of them is, like, on the bridge with a flashlight, and they're just like, be quiet, there's somebody up there. And Toad just, like, grabs a double-barrel shotgun, and he's just like, I'm gonna pop him! And they're like, no, don't! Like, no. And they, like, they put the barrel of the gun in the water, and he pulls the trigger, which actually propels the boat, like, forward. But it's like, Toad was ready to murder somebody. Yeah, just straight, cold murder, the he's like, guard. He's like, chaps out, pop him off! And they're like... No, no, they end up going through a secret passageway that McBadger knew about, and they go into the room, like the like the main hall where everybody is asleep, and it's just like, oh, everybody's asleep, how convenient. But McBadger explains like, no, 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 they all got really drunk, they are passed out, so we don't have to worry about them. And in the middle of it, you see Mr. Winky, and he's like, he's passed out on like it looks like a throne. He's got the deed to the house just sitting on his belly. Well, it's like in his breast pocket. Or it's like in his breast pocket. But it's just it's sticking sitting there. out and says, the deed. The deed to Toad Hall. So they decide the best way to get it is not to just walk over and take it, but to descend from the balcony above him. Totally Mission Impossible style. I wonder if Mission Impossible got this idea from this movie. I'm because say they yes. they tie sheets together and they tie him around uh, Mr. Mole, and they just descend him from, like, the upper stairwell, and he's just, like, dangling down slowly. Like, turning slightly. And turning slightly as he's, like, trying to get the deed. Meanwhile, like, Mr. Winky's snoring, and so in his snoring, he, like, blows Mr. Mole's hat up into the air. He's like, ooh, 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 and he grabs it, and he finally and they- gets it, but then they drop him, and he just lands, like, 
on Mr. Winky. Who doesn't wake up. <laughs> he just goes like, and he like grabs him and snuggles him. Yeah, he grabs him and snuggles him like a teddy bear. It just holds him closer and just rolls over. Meanwhile, there's another weasel that's like walking around. Well, the and guard he sees weasel. Them. The, the one guard that weasel. they didn't murder, <laughs> but they kind of alerted because they shot the water. Followed sort of the sound of the shotgun and found the tunnel, found the secret passageway. So as they were pulling Mr. Mole up, finally... He, like, throws a knife, and it cuts the sheet, and Mr. Mole just falls right on Mr. Winky's belly and just wakes him right up. And then it starts this whole, like, football game of trying to, like, hold on to the deed between the weasels and our heroes. It goes back and forth. As they're running back and forth. The thing is, the weasels all apparently have unlimited knives and just throw tons of knives everywhere. I think a lot of the weaponry was actually the like the decorations from Toad Hall because they have like axes and old-fashioned sabers and a whole bunch of knives. And I think there are things that like, you know, whenever they have like cross swords on the wall, like those are things from Toad Hall that they just took off the walls. At one point, Mr. Mole is like running and they're throwing so many knives that they're like shaving off layers of his hat, which is like... So they finally outsmart everybody by grabbing like extra paper and like throwing all the extra paper in the mix so they don't know which one the deed is. And then the four of them finally make it out of the secret passageway and they get out back to their boat and Mac Beaver is like, oh, Mac Badger is like, <laughs> I called him Mac Beaver again. Mac Badger. A good old sausage McBeaver in the morning. <laughs> And good old McBadger is like, oh, we made it out with our lives, but we don't have the deed. And Mr. Toad's just like, don't we? And just unfurls this like piece of paper that he has. And it's just like, it, it just says glowing, like, the deed to Toad Hall. And at that point, the story just kind of ends. It's like, oh, and they cleared his name and they took back Toad Hall. Yeah. And then you see them, they're all celebrating New Year's in Toad Hall. They're like clinking glasses, like singing Auld Lang Syne, and then they're like, wait a second, where is Toad? And they hear this like, and they run to the window, and Toad now has an airplane, and he's just flying around. So really, he learned no lessons. Learned no lesson. That's the end. We go back to the live-action library. The book closes. And the book closes, and they're like, well, that's Wind in the Willows. So we finish with the British guy's voice, and he's like, oh, that was Wind in the Willows. And then all of a sudden, another voice is like, well, that was good, but let me tell you some American tales. And it's Bing Crosby it's good himself. Old Bing. And you see, like, the camera just pull away from these, like, British books, turn, and go, like, through a gap in a shelf of books. And it goes to the American stories. And it's like, well, Americans, we got, we got better stories, like Paul Bunyan and Pecos Bill and. And, well, what else we got here? And then they go to the adventure of Ichabod. He's like, but nothing beats this one. And then it's Ichabod and Sleepy Hollow. They introduce Sleepy Hollow first with a map of New York. And then it, like, goes back in time where they're like, New York before was everything that we know now. And here's Manhattan, but let's go a little north. And so I didn't realize that Sleepy Hollow actually takes place in New York, but, like, northern, northern, like, north of Manhattan. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So, thank you, Bing. So, as they introduce Ichabod Crane, all the introductions about him are, like, my favorite thing ever. They say things like, he's like a scarecrow that walks straight out of a field. They say things like, they call him a specter or an apparition, where before you even see him, you just see, like, the shadow of him. You start to think, is he the monster in this story? Right. Then they even sing a song later about him, and they're like, are those shovels or are those his feet? (laughs) 
so they kind of paint him to be like, is this is the monster of the story. And then they just show him and he's just like walking around with his face in a book. He's this very just awkward man. We, we all know Ichabod. We've seen books. We've seen books. We but, read. <laughs> but I think this this was actually like one of the first like physical representations of him because I think the original book is another fact. The original book did not have illustrations. Fun facts with, with Joe, Joe Payo. Uh, by the way, the original short story was written by Washington Irving, who is also known for writing uh, Rip Van Winkle. He was one of the first American, you know, storytellers because a lot of his stories take place in like colonial America at the very beginning. And so in the original story, there weren't illustrations. And I think that this was one of those first times where they took some of the the descriptions from the story about like his nose and his forehead and everything like that and just kind of gave him a physical presence, which I think in the story, in a story, you can kind of just say like, oh, that's what he looks like. Let's move along to the story. But in this, it's like it really kind of cements in the fact that he's a very, very awkward individual <laughs> and he's not very good socially. And we start to understand why he acts the way he does. And in telling in starting the description about Ichabod Crane, they also start talking about the town. And they said there's a group of boys known as the Sleepy Hollow Boys. And they basically enjoy drinking and pulling pranks. And the main guy looks like Gaston. Yeah, he was the actual inspiration of Disney's depiction of Gaston. His name is Brom Bones. Brom Bones. You hear like the narrator is Bing Crosby. He's like, oh, Brom Bones comes around here. Had a good laugh. And it's Brom Bones. He keeps saying Brom Bones. And for a moment, like we had to say like, wait, his name is what? What is his name again? Because it's Brom Bones. We're like, Bing, come Bing. on. Slow Enunciate. Down. Enunciate. So Brom Bones plays some pranks on people and scares them. He steals a keg of ale and just like gives it to his friends. And then he smashes the top of it, feeds it to his horse. And then that's when Ichabod comes riding into town. And he doesn't really pay much mind to him. He's just like, oh, he's awkward. Like, there's, they don't really cross paths or anything. So they sing a song. Again, the Shovels for Feet song. I and, enjoyed that so much. And everybody's just kind of just like... Are all just his feet. And everybody's just kind of wondering, what's this guy all about? But he's the school teacher, and they're just like, okay, whatever. He's got his thing. But it uh, turns out, Mr. Ichabod Crane, he's got some moves. Oh, he's got some moves. He's got some moves like Jagger. They show him at work. And he's, like, in the school, and you see the kids reading. And as he's walking by, like, each of the kids, he's, like, checking all of their, like, little lunch baskets to see, like, whose, like, parents cook better. And then he starts kind of, like, favoring the children who have mothers that cook well so that he can have dinner at their house and just eat. Yes. The entire cartoon he's eating. He loves eating. The (laughs) entire, entire, like... 45 minute movie he's eating he never is not eating he's dancing at one point and eating he's always eating there's one point where he like goes to dinner and they're like you know at each of these dinners they're having like this like roasted chicken and it shows like later on when he's like at home maybe like grading papers he's like in bed and you see like his coat hung up by his bedpost and he reaches into the pocket of it and pulls out a chicken leg and starts eating it he has pocket chicken pocket chicken i wrote down pocket chicken in my notes and i was so excited <laughs> i got a pocket got a pocket full of chicken i got a pocket got a pocket full of chicken whoa is it fried that's good that's really some good. honey baked <laughs> Some nugget flakes. Oh, we're going to have to cut all pocket of this. Pocket chicken. Oh, we don't own this podcast pocket anymore. Pocket chicken. Okay. <laughs> that was a good run. Oh, uh, thank you. 
So then you start to think, okay, so I know eventually we're going to get to Headless Horseman. So this entire time, I'm like on the edge of my seat, just like, when is the spooky starting? Because it's just all about this guy. Then it shows like this morning in the town and everybody's just walking around and you hear this like banshee shrieking, this like, and everybody's like turning like, what's happening? What's happening? And like the camera pushes through and goes into Ichabod's house. He's giving singing lessons to three women and they're just not singing very well. So it sounds like the shrieking. But then all of a sudden, like in a moment, they start singing perfectly like the Andrew sisters, like in three part harmony, singing this like random song. And he's just like accompanying them as being Crosby going like, bo, 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 bo. And they're just like melting, just like, and they all faint. They just fall over and faint. And he's like, Oh, and he goes over and he like picks up this giant bowl of salad that I think was like meant to be their after lesson food. And like these three women just fainted on the floor and he's just chowing down on this on entire this like bowl of salad. Giant salad. <laughs> it's like they were so tired of animating all these chickens. It's like, let's just give him a salad for once, please. Like we need to make his diet well rounded. <laughs> this man's cholesterol must be through the but roof. But it's seriously like a bowl of salad, like the size of the ball they dropped on New Year's Eve. Like, he's just it's eating out of this thing. It's got pieces. Like, you can see it. Like, it's just... He's just like, they fainted. Oh, well. And the spoon is, like, comically time. large because it's, like, a salad serving spoon, like, not an eating spoon. And so he's just, like, pushing, like, giant comically large servings of salad into his mouth. Just when Ichabod has pretty much, like, his life set. Like, you see his calendar book at one point, and it's, like, every night is taken up by some social event or somebody's invited him to dinner. Especially dinner, because dinner is apparently the most important thing to him. We are introduced to Katrina Von Tassel, the blonde bombshell of the town. Um, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. Her dad's rich. She doesn't say a word the entire movie. She says nothing. Movie. Well, actually, nobody says a word. Like, Bing says all the words. Pretty much. But she doesn't even have, like... Brom does. Brom gets to sing. Nobody... Well, but he sings as Bing. As Yeah, Bing, Bing is his voice. But she gets nothing. Like, she never even opens her mouth once. Yeah. She but writes she just, a letter. She just but. bats her blue eyes. But she has, the, like, her the way her hair is, like, her blonde hair and her big blue eyes, I was just, like, the entire time thinking... Oh my gosh, I think they used the same model for Cinderella because she looks exactly like Cinderella. Yeah, absolutely she does. Especially when Cinderella's like in her, you know, working clothes. They introduce her, everybody's pining after her. They show Ichabod like staring at her, but then they like the camera kind of like pulls back and he's not just kind of like on his own. He's already actively at a picnic, like on a date with another woman. With the with the town chubby lady. The town chubby lady. This woman who's like always wearing a green dress and she's kind of like roundish and she giggles a lot and she's got this like bowl haircut. But she's like pulling him. Like he's like leaning forward and she's like pulling on his coattails as he's like leaning forward. She finally pulls him back to the picnic and he's like so just like enamored with Katrina that he like sits down on a giant cake and then he somehow has like a whole roast chicken in his hand that he puts on top of his head and then he grabs his hat and starts eating it like a sandwich, which is probably not a sentence that I ever thought I would ever say. And he starts imagining, like, not only he is, like, lusting after her and she's beautiful, but he starts imagining her father's farm. And And for some reason, the farm is a gold mine that will, like, bring him infinite riches. Well, because, like, in in those days, that was a big company. So, like, the heads of lettuce turn into heads of dollars. 
and like the you barn. see a barn, and all of a sudden it starts bulging, and then it just like bursts with gold coins like coming out of every window and door. And a field of wheat is like dropping money. Then you see uh, Brom. Brom Bones. Brom Mr. Mr. Original Prankster himself and of the Sleepy Hollow Bars. He shows up and he starts hitting on Katrina while everybody else is. And they're all like giving her gifts, like these like pastel colored packages of stuff. And he shows up and, on his horse and his horse bows and he bows at the same time, which I thought was kind of funny. So he's just kind of got this back and forth where he and... Ichabod are, like, competing for having her favor. I guess it's Ichabod that finally is the one who escorts her home. Well, because they do the back and forth, but Ichabod is just so much more charming and witty and graceful, and he just keeps outsmarting Brom Bones. Yeah, like, anytime that Brom is, like, putting some kind of, like, obstacle in his way, that's when, like, Ichabod can kind of, like, skirt around it. By the way, I really love in this whole thing how anytime there's anything that has to do with like superstition, Ichabod is always on the side of just like, nope, that's not happening. Like he's a very superstitious person, but you don't actually see it or they don't call it out until like later on. So like when you see like a black cat just kind of walking and he's got his like umbrella, he just like moves it out of the way or like he finds like a a horseshoe in the road and just like kisses it and tosses it aside. Like all these little things are just like these little superstitions that he has that is all foreshadowing. But you never, they never really call it out specifically until it's important. They go about this for a little bit, and then Brom Bones like, gets mad, tries to rough up Ichabod Crane, which doesn't work out for Brom Bones. And then they, they kind of go, they part. They go about their ways. And we find out that every year, Katrina's dad has this big annual Halloween party. And both Brom Bones and Ichabod Crane have been invited. And on the invitation, it actually says, you are invited to Van Tassel's house for a frolic. So they cut to the frolic at the Van Tassel's house, which is like, I'm thinking like, wow, I would love to have a house where we can just clear out furniture and have a dance floor. It's a big old fashioned dance. Nobody's in costume, though. And so there's like pumpkins around and they're all just kind of dancing. Ichabod and Katrina are already dancing with each other, and they're having a great time. And it turns out another one of Ichabod's talents is dancing, yeah. which they tell us Brom Bones cannot dance. Yeah. Um, and so Ichabod is, like, twirling her around, impressing her. He's even, like, able to dance while lighting her dad's cigar or his pipe. And at the same time, he they, like, dance near the table that has, like, the concessions and everything. And he just, like, grabs a slice of cake and just eats it while they're dancing. Like, she turns away, and he's just, like, grab, and then she turns away again, and he's, like, eat. And, like, he's, he loves his food. It's like all of his passions are all kind of working together at this moment. And back when he was imagining being, like, rich with the farm, he even had imagined himself as, like, a fat man. Like, with all the these, like, riches around him, he's all of a sudden fat. Well, actually, that was kind of a weird thing, because he first saw Katrina's father sitting in a chair, and, and then they're a, like, he's, he's not long man. for the world, and they're imagining him dying, but then, like, as he his body fades away, all of his, like, you know, his watch and his cufflinks and his any jewels that he have are just kind of, like, hanging in space, and then you see Ichabod occupying that space, and that's when he becomes the fat man, because he's, like, where, he, like, has all of the, the stuff that Van Tassel had. Well, they even say that Ichabod was thinking, like, well, he can't take all those riches with him. Yeah. <laughs> he's gotta leave them to somebody. Might as well be me. So in this moment, uh, Brahm is, like, 
trying to kind of sabotage him a little bit. So he imagines like, hey, what if I get Miss Lumpy Lady with the bowl cut? Again, it's Town Chubby Lady. Town Chubby Lady. What if I can get her to dance with Ichabod? Then I can have Katrina to myself. And so he goes over and dances with her. And she's like giggling the entire time. Like, <laughs> like that's the only like thing that you hear. You hear the music and you hear this like dolphin laugh. And he's dancing with her and he's trying to like pass her off to Ichabod and then like sweep in with Katrina. But like things, she just keeps coming back to Brom. And so he tries other things like opening a trap door that's in the floor. And again, like Ichabod doesn't fall into it because he's too graceful. But Brom Bones falls into his own trap door. He falls into it and then he bursts out of the exterior door covered in sausages. Yeah. So that's just their sausage cellar. That's their sausage cellar. Another thing I want to have when we have our house. Oh, so many. A dance hall and a sausage cellar. No big deal. So then at that moment, when the dancing starts dying down... Well, it strikes midnight. It strikes midnight, and that's when Brom actually under... Like, he sees Ichabod, like, throwing salt over his shoulder because he's... He's superstitious, and that's when he realizes... While he's grabbing a platter of food that includes an entire roasted chicken that he puts in his mouth (laughs) and and pulls pulls out out just the bones. (laughs) So as this is happening, that's when it all clicks for Brom that Ichabod is incredibly superstitious, and he's like, oh my gosh, I know how to get the upper hand here. I'll just tell a ghost story. I'm really good at telling ghost stories, and he is going to get super freaked out. Well, and he also says, like, I've been to this party before. I know that at midnight, mm-hmm. Mr. Von Tasselberg likes, what's his name? Tasselbottom? Von Tassel. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, and I know that at midnight, Dr. Von Tasselbottom likes when his ghosts, <laughs> when his guests tell ghost stories. <laughs> When it's ghost, tell guest stories. stories. A ghost goes that he's like, well, this one guy oh. brought a coat and left it. Uh. <laughs> oh, I was haunting this one house. They had a Christmas party. Ooh, Ooh. Someone brought fruitcake. Nobody ate it. Who brings fruitcake? It's terrifying. <laughs> She didn't know her sweet pee, but she showed up anyway. <laughs> it was BYOB, but no one brought any B. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was red wine on the white carpet. <laughs> <laughs> and no seltzer to oh. create it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, my stomach hurts. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, sorry for the little break. Oh my gosh. We made ourselves laugh so hard that I was in the corner trying not to barf. And And I was, same here, I could not breathe. It hurt my chest. We uh, had to edit out the over 10 minutes worth of laughing. So anyway... So we're back. Now we're to the actual scariest part of the story. So the entire time that we're watching this whole thing, we were just like, I remember this being a lot scarier because a lot of it's like focusing on Ichabod's like inclusion in the town and then his love life. And there's all this stuff like that. There's a big chunk of it. And it's like, wait, wait a second. I thought, remember, all this was really scary. So we finally get to the point when Brom is telling the story and he's it, it starts out as kind of a recitation and becomes a song where he sings about the headless horseman. And during this whole thing, he is like 
actively threatening Ichabod, like shoving a knife in his face as he's telling the story. Meanwhile, Ichabod continues to eat. Like, you think he's scared enough to stop eating? No. He just gets absent-minded while he eats, so he's putting, like, hot, like, it's salt. like pepper salt yeah, sauce like or something. Yeah, like hot salt or hot sauce yeah. on his egg, and he just, like, <clears throat> loses track of how much he's putting, so he eats the egg, and then he's like, ah, like, so, really hot. Or he, like, fills up a cup of coffee and just keeps filling. Keeps pouring it. It's, so like, scared. pouring down along his feet. So during this, there's this song that's, that's about the Headless Horseman. At this point, Brenda turned to me and, and said, like, oh, this is where that came from. S- personal story, going back maybe about five years or so, I made Brenna a Halloween mix when we were mm-hmm. just dating, before we were even engaged. First Halloween together. First Halloween together. And I was like, I'm going to make you a Halloween mix. So I was looking around online for all these different Halloween songs, and I found this one by this artist named Kay Starr. She sings this song about the Headless Horseman, and I was like, this is perfect, and so I put it on the mix. it's all old-fashioned It's all old-fashioned. She's got a whole chorus of men behind her that are, like, singing, you know, the, the harmony. Like, like the, the barbershop? The, like, yeah, it's style. kind of like a barbershop, like, really tight harmonies. It's a really great song. Look it up if you if you can. It's called it's called The Headless Horseman by K-Star. It's one of my favorite songs. It became one of Brenda's favorite songs after that. Like, whenever it was Halloween, she's like, put on that song, put on that song. Well, that mix that you gave me, it's, like, hands down my favorite <laughs> mix ever received. Like, doesn't matter that it's Halloween themed. Like, best mix ever the entire reason I married oh, good. you. Good, I'm very proud of that. I don't actually like you. I just like your mixes. I'll keep making them then. <laughs> or I'll just no. keep playing the same one. <laughs> no, I do like you. I make her the same mix every year. Don't tell her. So... <laughs> He's singing the song about the headless horseman, and it, it the whole thing also like says all these rules about it, where you're just like you have to, you know, if he chases after you, you just have to get past the covered bridge, and you'll be okay. So after you see Ichabod just like eating himself into a frenzy, it's him on his ride home, and so he's riding his horse. His horse is like it's got its eyes closed and face down. It's a it's like a plow horse. It's not even a horse for riding, but he just rides it anyway. And that's, this is when it starts getting spooky. You see, like, the forest, and, and they do these, like, kind of camera effects where it looks like the forest is elongating or closing in around him. You see the moon, and the clouds look like hands that are, like, choking the moon out, like they're getting closer and closer around it. It's really spooky. They, there's this one moment, this kind of jump scare moment, where Ichabod's riding along, and he looks up, and he, like, about screams, because it just looks like there's just a demon in front of him. And it's really just a tree, and in the knot of the tree, there's just two fireflies that look like eyes. And so it looks like it's, like, reaching towards him. And I actually jumped when they showed it, because it's like, huh! Like, it's really kind of surprising the way that they actually, like, did the editing of it, of the reveal, where it's like, I got freaked out. Well, and at this point, he also starts hearing things. Like, all the crickets, it sounds like they're saying his name. Yeah, they're like, in, like the, the, the frogs, they're like, up. Or they're like, Ichabod. yeah, and the frogs are also saying like headless horseman, yeah, headless horseman, and the and the, like the birds are flying by and being like beware, 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 and the trees are all taking shape. The at one point there's like what are they water lilies that are like hitting a tree trunk? Oh, the the reeds, the reeds, and it sounds like so they it's look going like, like corn dogs. It's like and he like looks down at his horse and the horse isn't galloping and he's just like what's going on? There must be a horse coming. And it's just the reeds, like, banging on a... And on so a, when he realizes thing. it's the the reeds, 
he, he starts then laughing. He kind of goes nuts a little bit. He starts laughing, but they do this like two track sort of audio thing where it's like his voice sounds like it's being echoed and it actually starts sounding kind of creepy. Like, Ichabod, you're creeping me out more than everything else. And his eyes are getting bigger and dilated. And he's like, like, (laughs) 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 And then then he he starts hearing the distant laughter of the headless horseman. This deep one cuts (laughs) in. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's not his voice. And he stops. And the laughing continues. And he looks. And now's the scary part. So... He, he hears the headless horseman, you assume. His horse is not moving at all. He starts to, like, try to jumpstart the horse. Like, he's trying all these things to, like, get the horse running. Like, he grabs it by the hind legs and starts kind of, like, pushing them in, like, a circular motion to, like, come on, get going, get going, get going. It's, it's just like somebody in a horror movie trying to start the car just like that. But it's just a guy with, <laughs> like, trying to restart a horse. with a horse. <laughs> His horse, who could not care one way or the other about anything through this whole thing like once they see the headless horseman rearing back on his horse with like you know completely backlit in orange that that image that you've all seen that you can see in your minds right now the horse just like opens its eyes and just like screams and starts running and at this point the horse is just like i'm out of here i don't care what's going on this horse that was like 97 before is now able to run again thus starts the chase scene. The chase scene. Chase, chase, chase. Chase. And we've got the headless horseman chasing after Ichabod, and it's a whole series of things where Ichabod's chin gets stuck on a tree, and he ends up on the horseman. On the back of the horseman's horse. And they switch places a couple times, and he's running towards the bridge. Because the whole thing is, if he gets across the bridge, he's theoretically he's safe. safe. Yeah. Is how the story The horseman goes. can't go across the covered bridge. So he's trying to get yeah. to the bridge, and he gets to the bridge at one point, and then the horse hits mud and skids and turns and around turns and around. runs the and, wrong and way. And he's backwards on the horse, so he's, like, trying to gallop forward, but he's getting further and further away from it, and he looks down, and it's the horse's butt. So he's like, oh, no, we're backwards. So he turns the horse around, and he makes it to the bridge. Mm-hmm. He gets across the bridge. And he turns back around, and the headless horseman is there. He can't cross the bridge, but he takes the flaming pumpkin that he's holding. And throws it. And throws it. And the pumpkin comes straight at camera. This is one of those moments where, like, I felt that sort of mix of nostalgia and fear of just, like, I remember this affecting me so much as a kid. Like, this is why I never got close to jack-o'-lanterns, because of this moment. You see, like, the pumpkin just kind of go, and then all of a sudden it's morning. And it just says, like, and the only thing they found was Ichabod's hat, hat and a smashed pumpkin. A smashed pumpkin. And nobody ever knew what happened to him. And then Brom got married to Katrina, and we'd like to, they say, that we'd like to imagine that Ichabod got married. Well, they said rumors persisted, rumors persisted yeah. that Ichabod was living with, like, a rich widow with kids, and it shows him again with another giant roasted turkey. But he, he has this wife, who you only see from the back, because it's like the Norman Rockwell, like, carving the turkey, freedom from want kind of thing. His wife is like this big fat woman, and they have all these kids, and they all have the same ponytail with the bow that he has. And he's just like carving this big turkey. But then the narrator's just like, but we don't know if that's true or not. So here's another fun fact. This is alluded to in the story, a little bit in the in the movie, but more so in the story. They leave it kind of ambiguous of whether or not the headman the the headman horseless. The headless horseman <laughs> is actually real. And one of the things is, I guess, in the in the short story, they make it very clear that Brahms' horse has a lot of the same features as the Headless Horseman's horse. The idea is that he scared him out of town. 
Like, that's a possibility. I like to think that. I like to think he's with that fat lady, and yeah. he's eating all the turkey that he wants. And he's so and happy. And he's rich, and he's happy, and Brom can have the... Not that he's dead. And, Katrina. Yeah. <laughs> Not that he's dead. No. I like that idea. So that's how it ends. <laughs> but then this is, um, this is another kind of a thing where nobody's... Because he was so driven by greed, it's really unclear whether he is the actual hero or whether Brom is the hero. It's true. Yeah. Because Brom really does want to be with Katrina because he loves her. You never see him saying, like, I'm lusting after her father's riches or anything like that. When he's been pursuing her for a long time. Yeah. And then the last line of this is Bing Crosby saying, like, and this is what happens, and blah, 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 and there's these haunted stories. And there's, like, this pause, and he's like, man, I'm getting out of here. That's the end of that. And we do. And it's just like, it's over. Bum, bum, bum. But I love that as a child. It ends so fast. I was terrified by this cartoon. And really, like, there's five minutes of scariness. Yeah. In there's a, a lot of like build-up. a 45-minute cartoon, five minutes of scariness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I very much enjoyed both of these. Mm-hmm. I think people should watch them because there's so many details that I never picked up on as a kid. And I just thoroughly enjoyed them. But it just made me laugh. The distortion in my mind of scary versus non-scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't really have a lot of fun facts for this because any of the facts that I found were really about the source material more so. Of, like the actual stories that things were built on. Like this was the only story that this person wrote. As far as the actual production of it, there isn't a lot of there aren't a lot of facts that I found other than the things that I've called out before. But one of the things that is kind of interesting, though, is that this movie, especially the Wind in the Willows part, it was the first time that Disney did like a secret villain switcheroo kind of thing, which is a thing that happens a lot more often now, but never really happened before. Like a lot of times they're like, this is the villain at the very beginning and they will be the villain forever. The reveal that Mr. Winky a side character was actually in charge of like the weasel crime syndicate was a new thing. And now like there's a lot of movies that do that now, especially like most of the movies that have come out from Disney since like frozen or Wreck-It Ralph or Zootopia. There's like a side character that ends up being like the actual real villain of the whole thing. Well, I don't have any fun facts, but I have some interesting tidbits. Oh, let's hear them. So the DVD that we watched this movie's on... The one from the year 1999? Oh, it had some special features on them. Oh, did they? One of these special features included Mr. Toad's Wild Ride game, where you answered 16 different questions. And if you got through all of it without missing more than four, we made it to the end. And what we got as our prize was a short. And it was a sad one. It was about a little blue Corvette. Named Sally. Named Sally. Who was bought new. She was brand new. She would sit in the window and flirt with people as they go by. And so she gets bought by this guy that walks by. And she gets to drive. And she realizes that the other cars outside are not very nice. Yeah. And And there's like into her. Yeah. She's like trying to park into a parking lot. And they're all just like eyeing her and like trying to squeeze her in. And and then there's like the street cars, like the, the rail cars that are like bumping up against her. Which, uh, through this whole thing, we were just thinking, like, oh, that's another insurance nightmare. Yeah, she gets into quite a bit of car accidents. A lot of little dings and dents. She, so she... She gets older, and she's not running as well as she used to. And they're like, oh, we just gotta get a new one. And they sell her as a used car to a drunk 
yeah. drives her drunk, and then she gets stolen. There's and a moment where she's just kind of like waiting outside of a bar, and you're like, I don't know where this is going. And then you see her swerving down the road, and you're just like, Oh my god! And she's hiccuping. It's like, and she's, she's like, hiccuping. She's like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, Oh my gosh, her driver is drunk, and yeah. it's like swerving like to both sides of the sidewalk. Yeah. And so then she gets stolen. She gets... I didn't understand what was going on there because it's like some guy just shows up and all of a sudden she speeds off. Because she's like, and a gentleman showed up that made my gas run cold. Yeah. And then she speeds off. She's like, I was a stolen car. Yeah. So she gets stolen. Then he wrecks her and they take her to a junkyard. And she... So she then, gets bought by like a college student. By like a kid for like twelve fifty. For like $12. And then, and and he, then rebuilds he, her. he rebuilds her. But he doesn't really rebuild her. He just kind of takes her parts and like makes her a smaller car yeah that actually runs down the street almost like a like a go-kart and then she's like i'm a new car again i feel fifty thousand miles younger yeah by the way this has nothing at all to do with what we just watched because we watched a couple of stories that were like classic stories from british and american literature yeah no i'm just i'm just stating interesting tidbits no i'm just saying that the the inclusion of this on the dvd had nothing to do with anything no it was totally out of nowhere yeah and I'd never seen this short before. I'd never seen it either. But uh, but it was interesting. And poor little Sally, she got uh, the bums uh, <laughs> bums end. Bums me uncle. Um, we didn't actually include this at the start of of this episode, but uh, the wine that we drank for this. Oh, the wine. We didn't start with the wine. Ah. Uh, the wine that we drank for this was another Kiami wine. We've done like three Kiami wines, but like, you know, they have good wines. You know, if they wanted to sponsor us or... Whatever, you know. whatever. But th- for this one, we drank what came with our last shipment. It's called Meritage, which I used to call Meritage because I thought it was like really fancy. But then I found out that the word meritage, which is an actual like word for wine, is a combinate. It's a portmanteau of uh, merit and heritage. So it's a meritage. I wanted to have this wine for this because it's like these are classic stories from literature, and there's a lot of heritage involved, and you know they're stories of merit. They're learning stories. And then we followed it up by a bottle of cupcake. The Red Velvet Cupcake Wine, which is always a good standard in our household. This bottle, specifically, was provided by our brother-in-law, Aaron. Shout out! Shout out to Aaron! Thank you, Aaron. He came over uh, he's, he, he came over a couple times and we've said, like, oh, you should try this wine. And he's loved it, and so he got us a bottle out of, uh, out of appreciation. And so... Shout out, Aaron! Shout out. We just wanted to tell him that, uh, thanks. Thanks for being part of the magic. Well, husband? Yes. I think that sums up another episode of uh, Wine You Wish Upon a Star. I think so. This is the last one from the 1940s, so we're venturing into the 1950s. I'm not sure what the next one is. I think it's a classic. I think it's one of the princesses. Would it be like Cinderella, maybe? I think it is. It could be. I think it's Cinderella. All right. Well, we'll start getting into the 1950s classics for you guys, but thanks for sticking with us through the 40s. Without further ado, I am Joe Pale. I'm Brenna Pale. Cheers. Cheers.